Good morning, Misfits. You are tuning into episode 18 of the Misfit Project. I'm your host, Drew Crandall. As always, across from me is Ted. Ted, how are you doing on this freezing cold, rainy <laughs> April day? Loving life. Enjoying it. Good. Things are good. So we are back around to a Q&A episode. And going through the questions, um, they're not super complicated, but I'm really excited about them because they're almost all about implementation. We cool. have the whole the whole deal of don't talk about it, be about it. We put a lot of information out there. And for people to circle back and say, hey, I'm trying this or I want to try that is, to me, a really good sign. But before we get started, um, I was I was reading something this morning that really hit home. And, and we'd been talking a little bit about in previous episodes um, sort of the connection to technology and what can we do about it without getting rid of it, but making sure that, you know, we keep it under check. Um, so we can link to this in the show notes, but it's a, an article by Ryan Holiday, the author of um, The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, um, and a few other books. The article is called 13 Life-Changing Habits to Try and Do Every Single Day. And the article itself, I think everybody should dig into. Um, really good article. And what's cool about his articles that he puts on Thought Catalog or Medium or any of these other places are that he links to his other articles and how they connect with like what he's talking about in that particular um, sentence or, or concept or something like that. So you can kind of keep digging if you want to. Um, but one of the 13 life-changing habits to try and do every single day was seize the alive time. I'm just going to read what he, what he writes in there. If I can looking over this microphone, what does every day seem to be comprised of? Too much dicking around. People are just killing time. And then he references uh, Raymond Chandler, who had a line that said, I'm just killing time and it dies hard. We get to where we were going and walk into the lobby and check our watch. It says we're a few minutes early, so we reach into our pocket to grab our phones. Is this not, is this act not the expression of so much of what's wrong with modern life? The entitlement, the resignation of it. How much better we would be in the world would be if we never did this again, if we chose a lifetime over dead time. There's so much you could do in those few minutes. Face fears, reach out and connect with someone, do something you've been putting off, expose yourself to sunlight and nature, be still and empty, prepare for what lies ahead, or just live because whom, who knows how much time we have left. And I just thought that really hit home with like his, his things that he lists out on here would be almost sort of be more like a checklist than anything else. Like little reminders throughout the day to like take some time for yourself, pick up a book, even if you just read a few sentences or you read the whole thing. Right. Like things that you wouldn't think to put on your to-do list, but would make a whole lot of sense. So yeah. just kind of random coming out of nowhere, but I was reading it this morning and it really hit home and wanted to share it. I like it. I like it a lot. It's and he's, he's, he's really good. He's yeah. like the guy that sits there and thinks like all day. It's like his job. Right. Yeah. I mean, even if it's not like something that you do every time you have a couple of minutes, just thinking like, oh, maybe I don't pick up my phone right now. Yeah. What could happen if I didn't do that? Mm -hmm. What What else could I do? Yeah. I like it. All right. Question time. So we've, we've pulled these questions from Instagram. Mm-hmm. Potentially Facebook, maybe some emails. Yeah. A couple of different sources here. Yep. Um, we'll just dive right in. Uh, the first question comes from Carmen Alessa. She says, or he says, 
they say <laughs> you were talking about your gut and autoimmune issues several times before how did you heal your gut and maybe also your autoimmune issues to a certain degree so for me the the biggest thing that happened was um joining like little paleo challenges and stuff like that um you know through through the gyms that i was attending at the time and so many people would be like you know, going through the carb flu or the sugar, you know, addiction and all that stuff. And I felt way better for the like 20 or 30 days that, that it would encompass. And what that did for me is it got me into reading, you know, Lauren Cordaine and Rob Wolf and Chris Kresser and sort of trying to figure out what was going on there. And then over the elimination diet, over the course of a period of time, I realized, um, that I had celiac. So I went through all the testing with that. Um, and that was a really big thing for me. It's been, it'll be six years pretty soon that I stopped eating gluten on, well, on purpose anyways. Sometimes I get poisoned at restaurants and that's not the most fun situation. Um, so that was probably the the biggest step for me to get myself started. Um, but not until I, not until I really started um, fasting more did all of those gut issues kind of like heal up. I think that getting the gluten out of there was good, but I never really went through the process of healing my gut. So things like fasting, things like bone broth, things like, um, you know, I, I, during the fasting periods and during, you know, different challenges, I'll take, um, VSL number three, which is a, a like medical grade probiotic. And I really felt like giving my stomach like, a a rest period was the biggest thing that I did for it because I had like lingering issues after I cut out, you know, uh, most grains, but that was probably the biggest thing I did do. And we'll get into this. Um, we'll get into this here in five or six questions from now, but I did do food sensitivity testing probably two years ago. Um, and one major thing that helped was I was like really allergic to or having a really bad autoimmune response to TEF, which is in a bunch of like um, gluten-free like baking stuff. It's one of the flours that they use as a replacement for like standard flour. And I didn't know that that was an issue. So there were like, like whether it's like a wrap or something like that, like those are the types of things that it was in and it would, it would mess me up pretty good. So So it was just kind of like trial and error, experimenting, reading eliminating things, seeing how you felt yep. fasting. Yeah. And, and one of the periods of time when I, when I did the food sensitivity testing, everything came back good for dairy. Um, but the person that I was working with at the time suggested that I cut out dairy for a month anyways. And I know cranky when he was off the cheese. <laughs> yeah, that was a rough month, but <laughs> I noticed a difference in how cheese affected me after I was off it for a month. So that's going to be one of those scenarios where you're giving your gut an opportunity to heal and then introducing it back in. And now really the only thing that'll get me is like really crappy mozzarella cheese and like really high quantities. So like if you get like a, if you go to a, a pizza place and I get a gluten-free pizza, that's like got like a ton of like crappy cheese on it, which is delicious. Mm, I love that crappy yeah. cheese. Um, that doesn't agree with me all that well, but like raw dairy and all that stuff doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. All right, next question comes from gray mj they say i'm a firefighter and work 24-hour shifts if long-term health is my goal how should i go about eating the next day if i only slept two to three hours the night before 
I've heard you mention that we can be borderline pre-diabetic after a bad night's sleep, but I have also heard that insulin production lowers cortisol levels. So there's, there's kind of two pieces here. Um, I'm not sure on that mechanism. Cortisol increases insulin, which can cause issues with being pre-diabetic. So um, I think that might just be backwards. I know that cortisol, you know, we've talked about it a ton. You get stressed, your blood sugar goes up because you're trying to mobilize, um, you know, fatty acids in your body. You're trying to mobilize protein um, to, to bring to your liver, to create glucose, all those different things that we get in our fight or flight system. Um, so I, I don't think that that's right. Um, I can look into it a little bit more, but I think it's, I think it's essentially backwards. What's really important about this question is what do you do in those, you know, sleep deprivation situations when it comes to diet? And I think that, um, you should probably cut out any high intensity exercise and you should keep um, protein moderate, fat high and carbs low. You want to try to get your um, you want to try to get that blood sugar back into control. And my guess is that even if your body starts to get used to it, if you go into high intensity exercise, it's going to be too stressful on your body. It's not really a time when you would want to do that. So um, that would be my suggestion. Take take a rest day and. Um, go, you know, as low carb as you can. Cool. All right. Next question. Carmen Alessa back for another one. What do you think about measuring the HRV one in the morning to measure recovery and two after food to see if there is an intolerance upside down smiley face? I am, uh, I'm a fan of, of HRV in general, but I like to use it maybe in what I call backwards terms. So a lot of the companies that do HRV tracking want you to wake up, do your HRV, and then decide if you are going to train that day or not. Um, we are in the business with our training of overreaching on purpose to um, create, you know, we talk about hormesis in the cells where we have to go past what we're capable of to, to get to somewhere that we we can't currently get to, if that makes sense. So um, what I like to do is I like to use that number as a scoreboard for recovery. So I want athletes to wake up in the morning, look at that, and then evaluate their recovery from the previous days. What did I do? How was my sleep? Um, man, there's so many things to list, but you know, how's my diet been? Did I do hot, cold? Did I stress myself out too much? Um, all of these different things. So I like to use it as a scoreboard for recovery on previous days as opposed to, oh, I can't train um, because that can actually be very stressful in itself for athletes. Oh, I'm, I'm, my HRV is low again. I can't train again. I can't train again. And if, if we get into that mindset, it's going to be really challenging to, to grow. And in terms of the um, food test, I know that uh, Dave Asprey is a, a big fan of that. I haven't seen enough science behind it. Um, essentially, essentially what Carmen is talking about is you take your HRV, you eat, and then the app will recommend a certain period of time. I don't remember if it's like 30 minutes or something like that to check your HRV again. And essentially what it's saying is, you know, if you ate something that you were sensitive to, you'd, you'd show a higher stress level at that point. Um, I don't, I, I haven't seen any studies on this to, to show whether, you know, someone that has an autoimmune response to something that they can track through blood is actually showing up in HRV as well. So 
All right. Uh, next question comes from Andrew W. Wolf. Thoughts on Alpha Brain and other nootropics? Um, so there's uh, there's the coach answer to this, and then there's my personal answer to this. <laughs> my personal answer to this is I use nootropics um, for two different things, kind of two different categories. Um, I use nootropics for something like a podcast, um, something like uh, public speaking, something where like word recall is is really important. And I actually am a really big fan of a nootropic called Kiltep. It's either Siltep or Kiltep, but it's C-I-L-T-E-P. Um, and I think that's, gosh, I can't even think of their name right now, the name of the company. Um, I think that one is... Natural Stacks. Natural Stacks, that's right. Natural Stacks has a lot of really good supplements. Um, I think that one's probably best for cognitive function. And then um, I'm a really big fan of Alpha Brain actually for um, physical endeavors as well. So um, I played baseball from the time I was, I don't know, five through a couple of years ago. And I would take Alpha Brain um, before pitching or hitting and noticed a pretty significant difference. And then I also used to take it um, for one rep max lifts. Alpha GPC is one of the active ingredients in it. Is has been used by powerlifters during meets for a pretty long time. And I actually did notice a difference there. And I'm totally cool with that being a placebo effect because, <laughs> because I still was able to lift more weight. Um, so that's uh, sort of sort of my interpretation of that situation on like a on a personal level i would not take them daily um the the coaching side of things is what we do what so many people are doing right now it's kind of a a, a millennial thing where it's caffeine and nootropics in the morning and then some sort of depressant in the evening whether it's alcohol um you know cbd thc any of those things you get into trying to get yourself way up during the day. And then it's so much that you have to get yourself way down at night. Um, that's an issue. That's something you really want to pay attention to. So using these things as a performance enhancer or using something to calm you down at night is okay. Um, as a solution to a problem on a not so regular basis, using that every day, which again is, is a huge problem. A lot of people will do caffeine in alpha brain, like a lot of it in the morning and then go home and, you know, drink wine or do that kind of thing. So, um, you're actually sort of frying yourself out a little bit and making yourself rely on it. And when you do that, it's not going to be quite as effective either. So just make sure every once in a while you go off the caffeine, you go off the, you know, alpha brain or any other nootropics and you, you know, try to sleep without anything at all that even could extend out to magnesium or something like that. Just make sure that your circadian rhythm is what's dictating whether you're awake or going to sleep and then use those things for what you would consider a special occasion. Personally, as somebody with, uh, some pretty significant concentration issues, uh, alpha brain does wonders for me, especially when I'm sitting down to do like a big edit, uh, yep. video edit that is for people that don't know, that's my primary function here. Uh, is editing video, uh, you know, getting a couple of those in me gives me a good two to three hour window where I can kind of tune in and just really focus in yeah. on, on what I'm doing. Um, but you know, that's just personal experience. Nothing scientific there. I have, let's see how quick you can look this up. Is there L-theanine in alpha brain? I 
think there is. So essentially what I'm, what I'm getting to here is there are ways to sort of uh, create nootropics on like a lower scale for what you would consider not so special occasions. Um, there is L-theanine. There is. So one thing you could do is like, let's say you wanted to do an edit. You might be doing three cups of coffee and two or three alpha brain, right? That is that accurate? Yeah, typically three alpha brain. And I usually edit in the evening time, so I don't do coffee. Okay. So one thing that you can do, L-theanine is the compound found in uh, green tea that there's actually a pretty pretty decent amount of caffeine in green tea, but it doesn't feel the same as coffee because L-theanine really helps smooth it out. Oh, okay. So one thing that you could do is um, like decaf or half-calf, something like that with L-theanine. Um, that could help a lot. And then the, I believe EPA is the fish oil, um, mental side one EPA and DHA. One of them's like good for your joints. And one of them's really good for, for brain function. And I'm almost positive that EPA is the one that's really good for brain function. So a lot of where nootropics came from were things like combining, and I know it sounds gross, it wouldn't actually be like fish oil in your coffee, but coffee and fish oil or L-theanine and caffeine, things of that nature. That's where a lot of it kind of came from. So you could do like a, a lesser version of that um, in certain scenarios if you felt like you were, uh, you know, bordering on being kind of burnt out. So Okay. I will take that into consideration. Uh, next comment comes from our friend Xander uh I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Warf bark it sounds like something Decker would say <laughs> it does uh would y'all suggest getting a food tolerance test if so what company the next question Haley Manser food sensitivity sensitivity testing worth it uh we've actually been getting a lot of questions about this both here on the Misfit Project and at our other company, Misfit Athletics. Yes. Uh, because in a recent podcast, we had two high-level uh, CrossFit competitors discussing how their food sensitivities and eating habits have affected their training. So once again, there's two answers to this question. The, the first one is um, I would prefer if people have the means um, to go to the functional medicine uh, website and there is a search function for um, it's a search function for practitioners in your area and go to see someone that's going to be able to help you read your test that could suggest, you know, taking a look at your actual gut biome as well and creating a plan to fix what you have going on instead of you knowing that you might have a sensitivity to something and you deciding on your own what to do about that. Um, that to me is is such an important part of not only understanding what's going on with your body but also follow through there's a lot of studies that show that if you pay for actually pay for something and go and sit down and someone writes out instructions you're going to follow through with it as opposed to you got this thing in the mail and maybe you can interpret it well and maybe you can't and i know that some of the companies online will you can pay extra to like talk to someone in a consultation or that kind of thing so it's possible to to potentially take care of that online. But again, um, functional medicine practitioners are going to be able to uh, help you with this kind of stuff and make sure that you actually have a solution um, and then you follow through with it and then you retest and you make sure that things are going okay. 
and there are more tests than just the food sensitivity test or the food tolerance test or allergy testing or any of those things that come into the equation. So there's that side of it. Um, you recently did one online. It was... I used Everlywell. Yes. Uh, they have a few different tests. They've got like inflammation tests, uh, vitamin D tests, uh, some ovarian test for like ovarian reserves. Yep. I didn't take that one. Uh, and then food sensitivity. Yep. Um, it, it turned out that the food sensitivity test that I used with Everlywell was processed through the same laboratory that uh, the functional medicine, local functional functional medicine, yep. Dr. Manea uh, ordered her tests through. So I think it's fairly legitimate. Uh, but like you said, uh, I got the results and there's no real guidance. Yeah. Uh, they tell you which foods are the most inflammatory down to the least, but there's no like prescription for what to do with that information. Yeah. So I actually consulted with Manea and had her kind of look over the results. And, and that's one thing that we can do. We can have Manea back on and do a full episode about this. Like, you know, are you really trying to go DIY here? What, what are your next steps? You know, what is, what does she recommend? Um, because that's a really big part of functional medicine is getting your gut health, you know, on track. And that's not only about autoimmune responses. There's, there's other pieces to that. So, um, but Everlywell is a website where you can, um, where you can get these tests done. So I know that a lot of the people are going to laugh at the first thing that I said and go get the test done. But seriously, if you have, if you have the money to go see a functional medicine practitioner in general, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this one, I'm going to say it anyways. It's what I would recommend as, uh, maybe I won't say replacement as a supplement to your, um, primary care physician. I mean, it's our podcast. We can say whatever we want. That's right? true. That's true. And if we, you know, we're not doctors, so you listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next question comes from EBH614. Simple, but something I'd love your answer to. How important is consistency? So this, this question has a dot, dot, dot after consistency because EBH614 went on to connect it directly to uh, CrossFit regionals. And this would typically be an answer um, that we would give on the Misfit Athletics podcast, which is separate from this. But the lesson is so big and how important is consistency um, when you're going after, you know, a really important goal. So you're training for CrossFit regionals or the CrossFit games or the CrossFit Open. You are um, trying to lose weight. You are trying to, you know, improve personal relationships. There's all this different stuff and consistency is the secret of successful people. There's no, you know, going out and searching for, you know, how do I do this, this, and this? It really is so much about showing up because if you don't show up, it's just not possible. Like consistency is so important in any of these things that we do because you get that first, you get that first part done of, I'm actually trying this. I'm actually doing something. There are a lot of people that just talk about doing X, Y, and Z. So you've started there and that's really important. And then, you know, in our morning meditations and in other episodes, we're obsessed with this concept of gaining momentum in something and consistency is how you do that. So, um, I know that this is a, a super general, um, question that I created out of a, a, a specific question, but consistency is it's too important to like pass over having this question on here. So with absolutely anything, find a way to have consistency, you know, 
we talk about training partners all the time in fitness, but you can have training partners in your wellness just, just as easy. So, um, no matter what your goal is, consistency is, is right up there with, you know, hard work and all that. So, yeah, I feel like hard work is directly linked to consistency. You, you don't, I mean, you work hard once you get what out of it. You have to work hard right. consistently mm-hmm. to achieve really almost anything. Yeah. And a lot of people need to create consistency to give themselves the confidence that they can work hard on a regular basis. Yeah. So consistency kind of breeds accountability as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. All right. <clears throat> Next question. Rap 77 OH. What's one thing you believe most of your peers don't? What are you currently telling people that you think is most likely to be shown as a misunderstanding of the data in the future? That's an interesting question. It's I love that question. That got my my brain bubbling a little bit. Um, I think this whole conversation about metabolic flexibility and our bodies using you know free form fatty acids, carbohydrates um, for energy. I don't think we understand that yet, and I think that. We can't be the type of people that only eat carbs and the type of people that only eat fat. We need to know where they go in our diet, what the timing is, especially if we're looking for performance. Um, you know, I we went so long without high carb. You know, so much of our evolution is has been low carb, and I just don't believe that they couldn't sprint. I bet they were better at sprinting than we are with with how active they are. And I could be wrong. Um, there's just, there's something missing in the data right now. I, I really think that. So metabolic flexibility is just this concept of being able to use different fuels for the same thing. Right. And being able to switch between using yeah. ketones for energy and using carbohydrates. For Absolutely. And, and for me, um, I don't know if it's all about, you know, actual ketone production or is it just free form fatty acids going through your bloodstream that were, you know, pulled from adipose tissue what I do know is that is, um, you know, we don't sell this product yet, but you know, I, I do a lot of what people would call, you know, macro coaching. I consider it more like nutrition guidance and stuff like that with athletes. And that's the direction that I'm steering them in because that's really what I believe. And it's working pretty damn well for a lot of people. So, um, I just think it's a matter of time before more data is out on that. So, all right. Next question, Met UMFer. Whoa, I didn't know that was a. I didn't know that was a nice name. I yeah. like that. Um, they say I loved the info on the intermittent fasting episode and have worked it into my routine. My biggest gray area right now is the post-workout meal. I train super early in the morning at 5 a.m. My fasting window ends around noon. Is it more important to end my fast a little sooner because of where my training time lands? or to try to stay focused or try to stay fasted and focus on hitting my nutritional goals inside of the eight hour feed window. So this, this is a question that we've actually, I'm glad this is being addressed. We, we get this a lot in the direct messages and there isn't a black and white answer only because I would have to ask more questions. So we talked about in this episode and, and I feel like I, I must not have done a very good job of, of, explaining it, I think I probably just kind of glanced over at the circadian fasting where, um, people are actually fasting, you know, essentially when it's dark. So, so many people currently, because it's sort of easier, you get into fat burning mode 
when you're asleep. So when you wake up, you're, you're not quite as hungry, um, especially once you get used to it. So a lot of people are fasting in the morning and into the afternoon. Um, science shows that it's actually more beneficial to fast in the evening and then eat in the morning. So in this scenario, um, if it was possible, I would recommend that style of fasting to have your eight hour window start at that post-workout meal and extend into the afternoon. Um, the only issue with that is like my personal issue. Um, I want to eat dinner at home with my wife. So I'm not going to fast that way. And I see a ton of benefits from fasting, you know, what I would call the normal way. Um, the, the, the way that a lot of people do. So I'm not really sure whether you're able to do that or not. If you are, I would recommend just shifting that window. If not, um, I would also need to know how serious the training is. If the training is really serious and there's this really big goal, um, I think post-workout nutrition, you know, at least within a few hours, um, is important. That seven hours is kind of a long period of time, 5 a.m. to noon. That's a, it's a pretty long period of time. There are a lot of benefits to letting testosterone and growth hormones circulate throughout your body and not having, um, a meal directly after training, but seven hours is a, is a, is a pretty long period of time. And I'd worry about, we've talked a lot about the plus minus with muscle protein synthesis, you know, how many things are you doing to increase it and how many things are trying to decrease it. And I think that fasting for seven hours post training could potentially decrease it. So, um, I don't know that I answered the question. I hopefully did. It's a hard question to answer without knowing more. It is, but I hope it, you at least have more ammunition now to to make that decision. Now, a 16-hour fast is not mandatory for everybody. I guess that could be another place to go. Right. I have I have my athletes fast for 12 hours on training days, 14 hours on active rest days, and 16 hours only once a week. Right. I was going to say, you could always adjust that fasted window to exactly. where if you have a hard training day, maybe lessen it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Next two questions come from Pope Tart. Uh, first one being, how do you guys feel about Lane Norton, Alan Aragon, Lyle McDonald, Eric Helms, and that range of data-driven nutrition? Um. So I don't know who most of those people are, but I think I know what the question is. Um, Lane Norton was introduced to us at Super Training. He was actually there doing a podcast the same weekend that we were with Mark Bell. Um, so we met Lane Norton, and Lane is a very, very, very scientific um, person when it comes to absolutely everything. Um and that includes, you know, his training with his, you know, crazy headphones that Mark threw in the trash can. And he's a very intense guy. Um, he is, as far as I know, again, and if I'm wrong about any of this stuff, I'm sorry, but I'll, I'll still give an answer on a topic. Um, he was a big part of Avatar Nutrition, which is the app that essentially you tell it um, how much you want to weigh, how much you currently weigh. It gives you calories only. And then if you go in like the next day or the next week or whatever, and you didn't lose the weight, it just chops the calories down. It's just calories in, calories out, and an algorithm just decides how much you should eat. Now, people listening to this podcast by now probably know how I feel about <laughs> calories in, calories out. That being said, you also know how I feel about this thing is bad, this thing is good, like making those designations. Um, I think that restricting calories 
in, let's say you were a, a nutrition coach and someone was just really struggling to lose weight. I think that, you know, once you felt like you had the, the ratio dialed in, just eating less food could be a solution. Um, it's, you know, a lot of it is plus minus. It's not all plus minus, but a lot of it is plus minus. So, um, that is something that I would, would personally do with someone if I was looking at their numbers and I was saying, okay, we're at this weight. We want to get to this weight. You know, the activity level might not just might not be there for this or, um, the basal metabolic rate might be low. You know, we might be still dealing with some old issues with, you know, thyroid or just the fact that their personal metabolic conditioning isn't quite as high as it should be. So you can deal with a lot of that stuff through exercise, but in the meantime, cutting calories is, is something that you can do. So I, I hope that I answered your question. I don't think that it's all good or all bad. Um, it's, it's something that I would use, but I'm, a obviously pretty big fan of, of food quality and deciding, you know, where your food comes from in terms of macronutrients as well. I mean, as always with these nutrition questions, it's never one size fits all. Right. Yeah. And, and I hope that people start to at least take that mindset. Maybe they don't even have to agree with what I'm saying, but that mindset of it's not this or that. Right. Just doesn't work that way. Right. Pope Tart's next, next question is how much of a movement and primer are you looking for in the AM? I believe he's talking about the morning routine. Yes. Any specific time domain, heart rate, etc. Does the timing with regard to waking up matter or is it more of a similar time of day activity near waking up? i.e. do I need to hop out of bed and fall into burpees? You do not need to do that. You also shouldn't wait very long. So um, <laughs> for me personally, I get up, I walk downstairs, I do 16 ounces of water with a pinch of pink salt. And um, if it's nice outside, I'll make this routine a little bit longer and do stuff like push-ups and lunges or something like that with stretches because I'm sort of setting my circadian timing with the sun. Um, if it's inside, it probably is burpees. And I can tell you right now, it doesn't take much. Um, you're looking for that feeling of like vasodilation where, you know, your blood's really pumping, your heart's trying to figure out what you're up to. Um, you're really just trying to shock the system a little bit. So some of it unfortunately does have to do with fitness level. Like for me, 20 burpees is right off the bat. It gets you going. It does not feel like 20 burpees in the afternoon at all. It's like, holy crap, <laughs> this is a lot. And, um, I've given this morning morning routine to some of the fittest men and women on earth. And they say that 25 burpees is a lot for them, which in a normal scenario would not be the case. No. Um, so just there, there's nothing really, there's nothing really like secret or specific to it. Just get your body moving until your heart rate gets elevated. I go back and do another 16 ounces of water, um, partially because I'm not the greatest at hydrating throughout the day. I just forget a lot. So I figure if I can, you know, get those 32 ounces in, in the morning, um, I have a kind of a better shot at staying hydrated throughout the day. Um, I have a question for you. Yes. You say a pinch of salt. Is this like literally just a pinch? If there's salt on the bottom of the glass, do you like swig that down at the end? Okay. Um, cause I, I've done it yeah. quite a bit, but it's always like, am I putting too much in? So I, what should I, should I drink the dregs at the bottom? What I tell people is if it tastes really salty, like super salty, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have, um, some OCD issues and I count to 10 with everything. So, I have to do like really small shakes with my salt shaker. 
Um, this is something my wife's trying to get me to stop doing. Cause she'll catch me counting. Uh, so I have to go really, but there's usually some salt at the bottom. Okay. Essentially I put it in and then I put a little bit of water in and I try to kind of like swirl it around and then go through. And every once in a while I'll put a little bit too much. And I'm like, oof, that's kind of salty. Like you don't want that. You want it to taste just, just sort of salty. You don't want to feel like you're chugging actual salt water. Not like when you gargle, when you've got like a sore throat, you don't want any of that going on. Would there be a negative impact of having too much salt or is it just a taste thing? You know, what's funny is that's actually part of an answer to a question later on in this oh, podcast. Yeah. I'll let you answer it then then. Uh, okay. Next question comes from Ann babe. Uh, where do you buy your meat? I love the farmer's market and try to buy most of my meat from there, but it can get expensive. Any advice or thoughts on clean meat and poultry would be great. So me personally, um, my brother raises pigs and I get half of a pig every year. Um, so that's a, a really big help. There's also, um, for anybody that's listening in Maine, there's a place called Aldemir Farms that does, um, you can do like a share with someone. You can get like a quarter cow, half cow, full cow. And it's some of the best meat that I've ever had. So my suggestion in general would be get a chest freezer, find a farm and buy it in bulk. And yes, that's a high upfront cost, but the price per pound is really low. Um, that's, that's my a number one suggestion. Clean poultry, on the other hand, is damn near impossible to find because the margins are so bad on it comparatively. You can't compete at all. Like you go to the the supermarket and you look at the past. They have them at Whole Foods. I know at least in Portland, Maine, they have the pasture raised chicken, which is, you know, an actual chicken, like walks around, eats worms, all that good stuff. And then they have the like gigantic like beast chicken next to it. It's way cheaper. It's way more meat. Like it's a hard decision for a lot of people. Now, um, one of the questions that we have that's, I actually think it's next, um, is about bone broth. And I think that it's really important that if you are going to do chicken bone broth, that you buy a pasture raised chicken. Like don't go to your local supermarket and get their rotisserie chicken. Purdue. And throw that in there. This essentially you're trying to pull nutrient density from the bones of the chicken. And if it had grain, vegetarian grain fed, it's not going to be anywhere near as nutrient dense. Um, one thing that people should really look into is there are a ton of companies now online that sell meat. Like I'm seeing people get sent free, you know, influencers on Instagram get sent free stuff all the time. And there's us wellness meats and there's Butcher box. Butcher box. And there's one that I saw the other day that I, it's not the name of it's not coming to my head, but there, a lot of these, a lot of these things are, um, more of that kind of buy in bulk style, or you can do a subscription service, that kind of thing. So the farmer's market does get, um, a little expensive. I even had one farmer sell me a shoulder blade that looked like a steak, but it was actually just like a quarter inch of steak, a huge bone, and then a quarter inch of steak under it. I wasn't happy about that. Did you go find that farmer after? No, I probably wouldn't have even remembered who he was if I went back <laughs> to the farmer's market. Um, so that's, that's kind of my answer there. Um, the, it is a little bit easier to find pasture raised pork and that's what you'd be looking for. So for any beef, the terminology we're looking for is grass fed, grass finished. And for uh, poultry or pig, we want to look for pasture raised. All right. Uh, you already said this, so yes. spoiler, uh, coach Weersma 
do you guys have a recipe for bone broth? What about collagen protein supplements? So for the bone broth, um, we keep saying we're going to shoot a video. One of these days we are going to shoot a video for you guys, but essentially it's as easy as a, for the chicken, it's a chicken carcass in your crock pot, onion, celery, carrot, a bunch of spices. I like to make sure that there's ginger, turmeric, and black pepper in there. Um, apple cider vinegar, you want to put one to two tablespoons, depending on how many um, liters your crock pot is. That helps pull the nutrients from the bones of the chicken. Um, you fill it up with water and you slow cook it. And the longer you slow cook it, the better. Um, you'll notice the gelatin coming to the surface and that's, um, how you know you did it right. And in terms of the collagen protein supplements, I'd put that uh, probably in my top five supplements. Um, Great Lakes collagen is the one that I personally use. It mixes into absolutely everything. It tastes like nothing. It's really easy to use. And that's one of the things, um, you can actually buy both from them. You can buy gelatin and collagen from them if you weren't going to make the bone broth. Um, but you're not going to necessarily get the same, uh, nutrients that you would. Both of those supplements are really good. I, again, prefer the collagen and try to get my, my gelatin from the bone broth. But, um, for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it essentially goes into your body. And what's kind of creepy about eating animals is what you're eating of them sort of turns into you on your own body. So like eating protein creates muscle protein synthesis, collagen goes in and helps collagen production and ligaments and joints and all that kind of stuff. So, um, really beneficial, especially if you're super active or as you get older, collagen production, uh, starts to decrease. And it's something that's really important for anybody, you know, 50, 60, 70 years old. Use it. All right. Next question comes from our buddy Hunter Wood. Uh, you've talked a bit about intermittent fasting and fasted cardio. I think we've talked more than a bit about it. Yeah, just uh, a little. <laughs> but are there any notable benefits to regular training sessions when fasted? Specifically a strength session and a CrossFit style conditioning piece. Could you also reiterate the benefits of fasted cardio? I think part of this goes back to that question earlier with uh, what is the thing that you believe that your peers don't? Um, I believe that there are benefits to this. I just don't know the extent of the benefits. And I would say that, you know, there, there are a lot of people that do this and their recommendation in terms of, you know, influencers in, in the same community as us, um, their suggestions are essential amino acids, uh, creatine, electrolytes, things of that nature, just to make sure that you weren't depleted so much, you know, in the previous day or throughout sleep to be able to get what you need out of the training. And that's something that I've personally done. Um, I'll do that with caffeine as well. And it's, it's certainly helpful. There's certainly a difference for me if I do a workout fasted with those supplements versus without. Um, and you know, it's just one of those things where we know that when you go into that training, if you had glycogen stored up or even if you were, you know, had ketone production that you should be able to use that stuff. It's not like when you eat food, it like, you know, it's coming out of your sweat or something like that as like, okay, I, I had this fuel and now it's coming right back out as energy. 
Um, it's a more in-depth process than that. And then there's also really big benefits to staying fasted after a training session. You know, we talk about not drinking that post-workout shake until an hour after, not eating a meal until two hours after. There's a lot of benefits to this stuff. So um, if, if someone wanted to test that out, I would just uh, keep really close eye on your recovery. Um, to test it out, you would probably need to do it on consecutive days so that you weren't, you know, sort of blurring the lines between am I affected by my previous day's training versus today. Um, but if you can do that, maintain intensity and performance and recover well, um, then you're getting, you know, benefits from both sides. Yep. All right. <clears throat> Next comment comes from PB and Jam Jam. How do you recommend structuring training and nutrition for competitive athletes who work an eight to five job? How can you implement intermittent fasting when doing a double session separated by a full workday? This is a, an excellent question. Um, I think that we can go back to talking about that style of, you know, 12 hours, maybe even a little bit less um, of intermittent fasting on an actual training day. And we can also talk about trying to put that fasting towards the end of the day. Um, if you do that, I think there's, there's potentially a scenario where you could time your final meal pre-training instead of post-training and sort of fuel that effort and then use the fact that you're, you know, allowing those hormones to circulate a little bit longer and then wake up in the morning. Um, that would probably be the way that I would look at it. I would try to fast at night and eat um, post-workout meal, maybe put your more intense stuff in the morning to go there. Um, one thing that's important here is is you're given, you know, seven opportunities to fast throughout the week, whereas you're probably only given four or five opportunities to train, you know, have a full intense training day. So, you could, you know, implement a 24 hour fast to try to get, you know, more benefits from that closer to a rest day. You could fast, you know, fast longer there and just make sure that you're getting a full, you know, maybe 10 hours, whatever it is. This concept is less about, I do this, 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 and this every single day and more about, we need to give our bodies an opportunity to rest the digestive system to get our, you know, gut biome where we want it to be. So if it's not perfect, that doesn't mean we should just completely stop doing it. All right. Uh, next question comes from Charlie Goodwin in reference to your hot therapy podcast with the 20 minutes, two days a week, twice a day with a cooling off period. How, or would you think a 15 to 20 minute swim for the cooling off period would be detrimental uh, beneficial or neutral to the benefits received from the sauna that day. I also tend to only be able to get them in on back-to-back -back days. Should I try harder to space them out in the week? So in terms of how you should space them out, whether it's, you know, a couple of days in between or back-to-back, -back, the only person that's going to know that is you. Um, we talk so much about, we have all of these protocols but they're all stressful. That includes exercise, that includes hot, that includes cold, that includes, you know, even fasting to an extent. And if we go all in on all of them all at once, we can actually do more harm than good. So if you feel good with what you're doing now, 
that means that it's that it's working well. If it's not beating you up, then you're good to go. In terms of the swim, um, because the water actually, you know, we talked about this in the cold episode, because the water actually encompasses your entire body, um, it, it does really well at cooling you off fast um, because it's covering essentially everything. Now, the only question that I would have is what is swimming? Is it, you know, floating around in the pool? Is it swimming laps for 15 to 20 minutes? There's a pretty good chance that um, you're sort of going to be battling your core temperature a little bit too much for the cooling off period if it's intense. So I would say 15 to 20 minutes in a pool is perfectly fine. Um, The goal during that cooling off period is to feel cool, to go all the way back from hot to then sort of, okay, I'm maybe on, you know, moving down from my core temperature right now, then we go back in. So um, I guess a lot of it has to do with what swimming means. And I would say, don't try to get exercise in in between because then your body's just going to be fighting to stay warm anyways. Uh, Next question is also from Charlie. Uh, Thoughts on salt as one of the greatest performance enhancers in reference to the Stan Efforting YouTube episode. So I clicked on the link that you sent and I was actually surprised. So it starts out with this massive dude who they call the Rhino, Stan Efforting, pimping out his uh, cooler business. So he has this cooler with a K and... It holds ice water, your pre-workout and your post-workout shake. And it's got all these crazy compartments in it. And like the outer core is what holds your water. And then once he does the ad, he goes into his video and says, someone told me not to do my ad anymore. And he does it again to tell him to F off. And then to my surprise, this guy is one of my favorite kinds of people. He is a meathead nerd. That's like my, that's my type of person. Like I love it. Like he's all in and he understands the the benefits of all this stuff because he's actually done it and he knows what he's talking about. Um, I think this is, this is a really great question because it's often overlooked that people could be dehydrated and at a deficit in terms of their sodium and potassium and be searching for this like magic supplement. And that supplement can't help them if they just don't have like the basic, like, you know, you need fat or carbohydrates for energy. You need protein to rebuild your muscle. You need, you know, hydration, really these really simple like core things. So the answer is yes, I do completely agree. You need, you need a really solid balance of electrolytes and water and, you know, sort of the, the things that your body will tell you in terms of whether you have too much salt in your body or too much water, like whether that ratio is off is all about whether you feel thirsty or whether you're peeing too much. That's sort of your body trying to balance that scenario out. Um, If it feels like it needs to get rid of urine, that's because it thinks that the um, water to electrolyte, the water's too high, the electrolytes are too low. So what it does is it gets rid of some of it so that then the concentration of electrolytes in your bloodstream is better. Now, in the opposite direction, if you have, you know, like, let's say you had a really, I'm guessing that this would be an ailment that would be very common in the United States of America. Um, I actually just learned also in Britain, there's this show called The Fattest People in Britain. It's literally called that. It's on Netflix. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Women weigh 300 kilos. Yeah. So. That's a lot of women. But that super salty, like crazy oversalted diet and then soda. 
where you feel super thirsty and what your body is saying is, yo, we have so many electrolytes in here and crappy electrolytes in this scenario, but I would assume people listening to this would be on a better situation. They, you need water. Getting there. You need to, yeah, you need water to balance out that situation. Um, and that's, that's sort of how you listen to your body when it comes to that. And things like a pinch of pink salt in your water um, can do wonders for that. And then just listening to your body throughout the rest of the day. That can tell you whether water's too high. Um, you know, we, we joke all the time. Ted and I had a, a high school football coach um, that had all these weird old sayings. And he told us that you're dehydrated. Um, you're dehydrated. I don't even remember what he said, but it was the exact opposite of what it actually is. He, he said something like, you want your pee to be like dark brown. <laughs> it's like, no, nah, I don't think so, man. So essentially we want it in the middle. If you have really dark pee, you're dehydrated. And if you have really clear pee, then your body's trying to get ri- literally trying to get rid of water. So that's sort of in between like yellowish situation is where you start to be in that like balance. And it's just actually, you know, getting rid of waste because your bladder's full. So. All right. And the final question here from Ashley Gilman. How do you prioritize what type of recovery to do? Is there a general protocol that you follow? So she has in here in the question, hot, cold, sleep, etc. cetera. Um, I could easily prioritize that list. That would be sleep. Sleep. Yeah. Um, I think that we aren't in a scenario where we can accurately decide how much we need to recover until we get um, enough sleep. Now, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think the absolute minimum is four sleep cycles for someone that's not active. That's six hours of actual sleep, probably takes six and a half to seven hours in bed. I think that your average person with average activity levels should be sleeping seven and a half hours, which takes eight plus in bed. And then I think that elite level athletes that are like training at a super high level should be getting another sleep cycle. So that's nine hours of sleep. And that doesn't mean seven days a week, but it's something that, you know, um, that's an, uh, another sleep cycle is another dump of testosterone, growth hormone, you know, all these m- massively restorative benefits. So I put that at the absolute top of the list, sleep. Um, and then in terms of, of general protocol or how do you prioritize what type of recovery so much is so much is based on how you feel and adding things sort of one by one i don't think that everyone should have the same protocol i don't think everyone has access to the same you know options for the protocol like for me my hot cold is a hot tub and a cold shower now i should probably find a way to get to a sauna and I have done it and I will continue to do it, but I should probably fill up my bathtub with cold water more often. It works better. It's more bang for your buck. Um, But just, you know, sort of slowly adding these things that we talk about, seeing if they work for you, seeing if they have a benefit. You know, if you have the analytical mind, you know, get the HRV situation, you know, find a way to track your HRV, whether that's just a polar heart rate strap with, you know, your phone or a whoop or, you know, the aura ring or all these different things that, that track that kind of stuff. Um, if you have that sort of analytical brain, it's nice to literally see on paper, like this worked for me, this is helping or the exact opposite, which we talk about all the time. If we have too many supplements and too many recovery protocols, we're stressing our bodies out too much. So, um, unfortunately general protocol, 
so much of it has to do with, you know, how much are you training? How much free time do you have? What access do you have to certain things? So, um, you're asking the right questions and I think, you know, test retest is the best way to go. All right. Well, that's all the questions that we have on the sheet. Yeah. Um, again, I, I know that, I know that for, for a lot of people listening to this, they might sort of wonder where these questions came from and, um, the best way to answer that is to just go back and listen to the previous episodes. Um, I'm thinking we're looking at a Q and a episode, maybe once a quarter, somewhere in that range, you know, we get a couple months deep into new topics and people want to know, you know, thanks for the information, but I really want to make this part of what I'm doing. It sounds like the benefits are great, but they want to ask questions specific to themselves. And that's really exciting, you know, for me, because it means that, that people are really interested in, in trying to get this stuff into their life. Um, so yeah, if you, if this is your first episode, go back to and listen to all 17 in a row. Every one of them. Yep. Binge, binge, listen to all of them, <laughs> shut the doors, go inside, listen to all of them, get your notebook out. Um, we are misfitproject.com at the misfit.project on Instagram. And if you are not into the social medias, you can send an email with any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions for new episodes to info at misfitproject.com. Indeed. Until next time. Yes, yes. Thank you for all of your questions.